Happy Halloween! Technically. I mean, this is our Halloween episode. We're like a week away, but... Exactly, but it's still a nice way to bring in the holiday season, and we have a really nice film in store for you guys today. I agree. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. You're listening to Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies with you all. Let's see. What do we have news for the week before we jump into anything? I saw that Peter Jackson announced that they're going to be doing a 4K restoration of Dead Alive and Bad Taste. Yeah. Okay, good. Which is cool. I've got a little bit of information pertaining to that, but... Aside from the news of what you and I did yesterday, which I think we're probably going to hold off until the very end. Yeah, let's talk about that really quick right now. Much like last week where we talked about Mandy at the end of the episode because we finally got around to watching it. This week, we went and watched the new Halloween. So again, stick around to the end of the episode and we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, which is kind of cool. That'll be our second mini-sode, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, we just watched it last night. We got out of the movies at like 7.30-ish, and we could have just recorded a mini-sode then, but, nah, fuck it. Like, we were already going to record today. I wanted to eat some food. Yeah, Or exactly. more food, because we <laughs> ate food at the theater. So, we'll do it in like an hour or longer, possibly, considering how long we probably are going to end up <laughs> talking about this movie. I have three pages of notes. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Hell Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, stay tuned until after this particular episode, and we'll have a little bit more information pertaining to Halloween, but yeah, we saw that yesterday. Oh, and there was one other thing that I said last episode I was going to bug people about at the beginning of this episode, and for the next, like, eight episodes or leading into 100, right? Yeah, we're leading into episode 100, and we're not exactly sure how we're going to make it special yet, but we want to try to do something to make it special, But even if we don't make it special, we think it's a really cool number, and we're really excited that we're about to get there. Like It seems like something big to us. So we would love it if you guys would help out just by, like, being super annoying for, like, two and a half months and just, like, sharing the fuck out of all of our stuff. Yeah, spread the word. And just, like, making sure you're subscribed, leaving reviews. That would be awesome. Just, like, if we could make this podcast the absolute biggest it's ever been listens wise all that jazz for like right around our 100th episode that would be fucking dope yeah we would be highly appreciative and we'd love you even more if you did so right not like we're gonna stop loving you but i want it to be even more special somehow and we'll try to figure out some way to make it special too but we're like two months out so yeah but we're getting close so spread the news tell your friends tell your family tell your co-workers tell strangers whomever yeah especially strangers you don't know yeah they they might be into shit they might be like, oh, these motherfuckers talked about achos. I fucking go home and jerk off to that what? every night. Yeah, exactly. You never know. Strangers become friends sometimes. Plastic bag over my head and all. <laughs> exactly. No, we'd be very appreciative and spread the word. Okay, so moving beyond that, what other news do you have that doesn't fall into anything about this movie? Exactly. So doing a little digging, I did see some interesting news about Stephen King. So apparently there is a school. It's located in the UK, but the students at the Blanau Gwent Film Academy are adapting a Stephen King short story. And that particular story is Stationary Bike, which was published in 2003. So doing a little reading, what I understand is as a part of his Dollar Baby arrangement, Stephen King, he allows film students and aspiring filmmakers to adapt his short stories in exchange for a single dollar. Okay. So this academy took him up on the offer, 
So apparently this short story is about an artist cycling to lose weight after being told he has dangerously high cholesterol and entering a trance where he experiences nightmarish scenarios. So this was originally published in the fifth edition of From the Borderlands in 2003. It said in 2008 it was published in King's Collection just after sunset. So for those who are curious or know about this, it will be adapted to uh, screen. Sounds to me like that character is simply trying to get thinner. <laughs> yeah, eerily similar is what it sounds like to me. Stephen King just writes the same stories over and over again until he gets a version that he can leave. He's satisfied with. Yeah. yeah, it's understandable. I'm a fan of thinner, so yeah. if it's anything like it, I'm I'm already interested. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. But we're big fans of Guillermo del Toro. It is no stranger. So I did read that he's finally getting to direct his Pinocchio animated film, and Netflix are on board to help release it. Yeah. I believe stop motion, if I read it right. Is. And he's been trying to get this done for like 10 years. Yeah, so. so this has been kind of like a pet product of his, but it's finally getting, you know, some backing. So that's really cool. It's probably, I mean, it's Guillermo. It's probably going to be at least a little dark, too. I'm okay so, with that. Yeah. Quite all right with that. And we know he likes to use like fairy tale elements and fantasy elements. So I would imagine this will be no stranger to that. But I did see that he's collaborating with the Jim Henson Company. So that's the company behind, of course, the Dark Crystal. If you're familiar with the Muppets. <laughs> I mean, it's Henson. Come on. Exactly. Come on. Come yeah. on. I thought it was really cool. So Patrick McHale is the person who is responsible for co-writing this. He also wrote the script for Over the Garden Wall, if you're familiar with that. And Mark Gustafson, he was the director of Fantastic Mixer Fox. They're going to help co-direct this film. It says that Guy Davis is going to serve as co-production designer. That's for the film's puppets. will be built by McKinnon and Saunders, and they are the team behind The Corpse Bride. Okay. Yeah, so looking forward to that. That'll be fun. I did see this. I know we've talked about it a little bit, but, you know, all the legal news surrounding Friday the 13th. Well, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It, I saw some sort of headline, but I didn't read further. Do we have more of a conclusion? From what I understand, just concerning Cunningham, I think he's going to file, I can't remember exactly what you call it, but he wants to help, like, kind of reverse the decision, the initial decision that was made, so he's kind of filed for that. But aside from that, this is kind of the interesting news I read was that for those who are familiar with a person named, some call him the king, I'm going to reserve my arguments, but LeBron James oh, is in talks to king produce James. yeah, Friday the 13th reboot. So there is some news stirring around that. It looks like, you know, there was some talks about it. I know we've talked about all the legal rambling, so I don't know what's going to come of that, but he's in talks. We'll see what happens. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's getting his hands on a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, fucking throw some money at it. Good I mean, it's him. not a bad one to throw your money yeah. at. Whatever he throws at it, I'm sure it's going to make back. Um, just because yeah. of what it is. Totally so. agree with that. So, another thing that I read, not so entertaining, but I'm a fan of Don Johnson. If you're familiar with Miami Vice, The Watchmen, he was an Eastbound and Down. He's been in some pretty cool shit. But it looks like he's close to joining Media Rights Capitals, and this is Ryan Johnson's murder mystery. It's called Knives Out. So some of these people who are going to be included are Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Michael Shannon, Lakeith Stanfield, who we've covered several times, and Ana de Armas. So from what I understand, it's kind of whodunit murder mystery in a mansion. So 
be interesting to what happens, but it looks like production is going to start beginning next month on this, and this is an independent feature. One bit of news concerning some upcoming releases as far as like Blu-ray, DVD, 4K, all the good stuff. It looks like Mill Creek and Walmart are releasing a Happy Birthday to Me Blu-ray in a retro VHS kind of format, which is kind of cool. But uh, yeah, if you're familiar, this is a Canadian slasher. It came out in 1981. It looks like no dates yet. So okay. keep an eye out for that. You already mentioned that Peter Jackson and his team are fully restoring Dead Alive and Bad Taste in 4K. Those releases are coming soon as well. I'm really looking forward to that because Dead I Alive is kind of buy hard. The fuck out of Dead Alive on 4K. That shit is hard. Well, it's not hard to find. They but have you're my money penny. already. We are going to continue following that because I need to give them my money so that I can get that. Take all of my money, especially for Dead Alive. I have a DVD copy of Bad Taste. Mm-hmm. Now, we've kind of briefly mentioned this film, but Meet the Feebles is also going to be restored as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, so if you're familiar, check it out. I like me some bad taste, but I'm more excited to hear that Meet the Feebles is being <sighs> yeah, restored as well. Which is really cool. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to all those releases. I might actually get all of them. But anyhow, one last little bit of news, and this kind of pertains back to Halloween in a way. Not necessarily, but kind of. But it looks like David Gordon Green, he's floating the idea around about directing a Critters and or a Ghoulies movie. Mm. So, I also read a little bit of news, too. This concerns Danny McBride, but he was kind of all right, too, with possibly doing, like, a soft reboot of the Phantasm franchise. Oh. So, they're kind of kicking around. Yeah, so they're kind of kicking around ideas for some reboots of some movies that... By not really a stretch, but I'd say a lot of these are cult classics, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm okay with that. I think some of these films are probably due for a reboot. I had a question, but I'm not going to ask it of you because <laughs> that would lead into this becoming a completely different podcast. Yeah, I think we'd end up talking about it for like 40 minutes. So <laughs> I might right. hold on to that till like, I don't know, maybe episode 100. Okay. <laughs> no, that'd be cool, dude. We'll see what happens. <laughs> nice. But yeah, that's pretty much the news of the week that I'd seen. I mean, outside of some of the stuff we'll talk about with Halloween, which also kind of pertains to some of the news of the week, but I'll reserve that till the end. Yeah. So outside of that, man, just gearing up for Halloween, gearing up for the trip and all that good stuff. Hell yeah. Yeah. I haven't been up too much lately. All my fucking nerdy shows started up again. So I've been trying to keep caught up with all that bullshit. Yeah. And so I watched like titans and flash and supergirl all last night after watching nice. halloween with you like so whatever playing video games all that bullshit so there you go well if you're listening to this episode mm-hmm. <laughs> by then which for us is coming up this friday is sabrina in castlevania the second season are coming i know out, so i, I'll I don't be know that. when the fuck i'm gonna watch all this shit because i haven't even started in on Dude. daredevil yet and that also a lot of shit out coming Friday. out, right? Jesus. That's okay, man. It'll keep us busy during okay. the, the winter months, so it's it's fun. But yeah, we'll have some really cool shit to talk about next I'm week, too. I'm going to be binging the fuck out of a bunch of shows anyway. Damn uh, right. Let's get into the guts and bolts of Trick or Treat. <laughs> Guts and bolts. 
right, here we are. Guts and Bolts of Trick or Treat. Now, this is a charming little horror anthology. Wait, we're not oh, wait. doing that one, are we? <laughs> That's funny. Every fucking search engine I put this movie into thought for sure that we were talking about Trick or Treat. I know, right? And they're like, are you sure you don't mean Trick or Treat? I'm like, yeah, no, I, I want the one named after the actual phrase that you say when you fucking hit people's balls. It's like, we know damn well what we're looking for. That's right. Don't try to correct us. We're looking for some fucking Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> all over the DVD cover. Damn, dude. I had to bring that over to show you like how it was advertised for this release. So some people out there probably saw this movie because they saw that cover. Let's give a little bit more accurate synopsis. Yeah, I think we can <laughs> um, do that. Let me think. A... High school metalhead Stan, because he's a total Stan. Oh, no doubt. Ends up contacting the ghost of his idol, and things get murdery and metally past that. Pretty much. <laughs> so keep in context to that. This is a film that came out in 1986. Yes, it is. <laughs> Let's see. What else? Oh, yeah. And as I said last episode, the other thing that we are going to start doing... This episode, from my side of the table, is brought to you all by some OG Pacifica and some Strawberry Kush. Neither of which, to be honest, is my favorite. But it had been a while since my shop had them, so I picked them up to give them a shot again, because it had been a while. And that Pacifica fucking put me out earlier, and I think put us both out last night. As we're saying, if you want to get tucked away and you just want to have a a really good sleep, that would be a good strain for that. So we're mostly on that cush right now. Yeah, baby. That and you, uh, what did you say? I brought over some Gorilla Glue. That's right. Good old standby Gorilla Glue. Yeah, I like it. Fucking, uh, oh dude, yeah, dig me some Gorilla Glue, so. Yeah, so no complaints over here, but yeah, we're getting a dose of both of those today, which I'm happy with. So shit. 1986. <laughs> Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne wow. all over the cover. This is definitely a, oh god, ghost story horror comedy? Yeah, there's some comedy in it. Man, it, it came out during, in which we've done a run of those slasher films, so it's kind of piggybacking a little bit, a little bit off of some of that stuff. But it kind of delves a little deeper maybe into a political kind of thing that was going on during that time period. Oh, yeah, I definitely made a note of that. So yeah, who do we have bringing this movie? All right, so what we like to do is we'll segue into the people who went into making this film. And this is a directorial debut once again. And our director for this is Charles Martin Smith. Now, he's directed such things as the Boris and Natasha TV movie. He also directed, I believe, an episode, maybe a few episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is back in 1997. You might be familiar with the film Airbud, perhaps. Wow, what? Really? Yeah, dude. He's also done the film Stone of Destiny, and more recently, he's directed Dolphin Tale 1 and 2. Now, he is an actor as well as a producer, so I'll mention a few of his credits later on because he does make an appearance in this film. So I do have a few writers on this. One of the people I have is Rhett Topham. They've helped with the story and the screenplay for this film. His partner, Red Bottom. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Power Bottom? Yeah. All right, so Rhett has written the screenplay for such films as 976 Evil, which I've talked about a few times because of Robert England. Right. Yeah. Now, he helped with the characters because of 
Part 1 for 976 Evil Part 2. Now, he's also helped with a teleplay, and he's written an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. This is back in 1988 and 1989. Robert England was Freddy for all that stuff. All right, now he's got several partners on this for the screenplay, and I'll lead off with Michael S. Murphy. He's gone on to help write the screenplay for such things as Hambone and Hilly, The Supernaturals, and he is a producer. Because he's one of the producers on this, along with somebody else who helped with the screenplay, I'll talk about some other production stuff when I get to that point. All right, along with Mr. Murphy, we have Joel Soizen. He helped with the screenplay, of course. Now, he is a director and a producer, which I'll mention some of those stuff because he's one of the producers on this. We have two people who went uncredited. One of them is Glenn Morgan, who is actually an actor in this film. And the other person, big name now, is James Wong. Now, for those who are not familiar with James Wong, <laughs> maybe you should look at such projects as... He was big into the X-Files. He wrote, helped produce a lot of that. You might be familiar with the show called American Horror Story, perhaps? He's written episodes for that. He was director on the remake of Willard, which was a lot of fun. I liked yeah, that Yeah, it was, movie. man. We are uh, big fans. The of remake of Black Christmas. The Final the Destination. First, first Final and Destination one? and the third one. Yeah. And Dragon, Dragon Ball, Ball Evolution, which is fucking <laughs> terrible. Yeah. That movie is no good. Mm. It's really not. But, yeah, I was like, man, that's really cool. I thought I'd at least bring that up, even though we went uncredited. It's a pretty big name now, like I said, in terms of television, movies, etc. All right, now, the person that I have as the cinematographer on this is actually a pretty big name when you look at some other credits. But this film was DP'd by <laughs> Robert Ellswit. All right, so when you're looking at some of the cinematography work for Mr. Ellswit, it's got a pretty big body of work, and you kind of you can go back a little bit because it's what I like to do. Now he's done cinematography on such films as Boogie Nights. You might be familiar with the film called Eight Millimeter. He was a cinematographer on the film Magnolia. You might have seen Punch Drunk Love, an Adam Sandler film, which I like that film a lot. He's also a cinematographer for the film Geely. Oh, Geely. <laughs> yeah, no shit, right? Cinematographer on such films as Duplicity, The Men Who Stare at Goats. The movie Salt, Mission Impossible Part 4, The Bourne Legacy. He's done some really cool shit, man. And it's kind of funny when you look at this film. I mean, he's also a cinematographer for such films as There Will Be Blood, Good Night and Good Luck, Nightcrawler. I mean, some really right. cool fucking films. How did the guy that fucking shot There Will Be Blood shoot this fucking movie? That's what I was like, man, this is... One hell of a pool. Now, I mean, prior to this particular film, he did some other, you know, some pretty interesting works. But as far as his bodies of work, they got progressively better, of course, from yeah, this point. Yeah, they absolutely did. Well, I don't know. Boogie Nights going down to 8mm is... But, yeah. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I like 8mm, but we're going from PTA down to Joel Schumacher on that one. Yeah. Now, there's another one I do want to mention, too. He was also cinematographer on Return of the Living Dead, part two, which is kind of cool. But, yeah, I mean, he's got all kinds of stuff from comedies to action to thrillers to horror. So he's got a pretty big body of work, which is really cool. Now, the next person I have is our editor on this, and this was done by Jane Schwartz Jaffe. Now, she was the editor for such films as Deadly Care and Miles from Home, but I was like, she's actually been a part of an editorial department for some bigger films, and some of those were, you might have seen The Adventures of Buckaroo Bunzai Across the Eighth Dimension, 
She was the first assistant editor on that. that. Yeah. I have seen that a number of times. Maybe Pretty in Pink or St. Elmo's Fire. Now, she was an associate and a first assistant editor on that. She was also the first assistant on Terms of Endearment. So okay. like, those are some pretty cool films, you know, aside from her editorial work on those other films I mentioned. Right. Now, the music on this. Ooh, ah, so this is interesting. So there's a note that I'll get into later, but partway into the film, I had to make note of the music. I was like, okay, what? I have to look this up. What the <laughs> fuck is going on? Know, right? Who is this? I'm like, who the fuck is Fastway? Yes. Music by Fastway and Christopher Young, who was a part of Fastway? Christopher Young, I think he's just mostly a composer. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he composed some of the stuff outside of Oh, that's Fastway. right. I, it wasn't Eddie Clark. That's yeah. who they credited. Fast Eddie Clark. Yeah, yeah. Fast Eddie Clark was, I think, credited with co-writing a lot of the songs. Exactly. Yeah, um, so most of the soundtrack you hear is Fastway. Now, the most interesting thing I found about Fastway is... Considering... Yeah, I thought that the voice sounded really fucking familiar. Well, it turns out pretty much a month to the day ago, I was listening to the singer of Fastway because for the last, what, decade and a half now? Yeah. Dave King has been the lead singer of Flogging Molly. Yeah, that's fucking wild, man. So, And he sounds so young in Fastway, but once you know it's him, you're like, oh shit, I can hear totally it. Totally him. Like, so at that time, totally he was kind him. of a, yeah, he was an unknown so from what I understand is like some members from some pretty notable English bands, Motorhead and UFO. Yeah, UFO. I mean all kinds of other bands, of course, Humble Pie. They got together and formed a supergroup in the early eighties. And of course we're talking about Fastway. So some pretty big names. We mentioned Fast Eddie Clark. He was formerly of Motorhead. If you don't know who Motorhead is, what are you doing listening to this episode? <laughs> No shit, right? I know, right? Yeah, and you mentioned Dave King. Pete Way was the bassist, formerly of UFO. You had Jerry Shirley, formerly of Humble Pie. So I thought it was kind of neat, man. A, a super group that should have been a lot bigger, perhaps. But that's no discredit, man. Yeah, that fucking blew my mind, though. I'm like, fuck, I, listened, I was listening to Dave King just a month ago. That's I know, weird. that's crazy, isn't it? All right, now you mentioned Christopher Young. Now, he's done some really cool shit as far as composing music. I can't, I'm not going to name them all because he's got over 100-something odd credits. But a few that kind of caught my eye was he did help compose the music for A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, Freddy's Revenge, which for me it's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, we've talked about him before. Yes, we have because, because of Hellraiser. Exactly. He did uh, Hellraiser and Hellbound Hellraiser too. Yes, he did. So when you start looking at some of his other films, he's done such things as like composing music for Jennifer A., which is a pretty good one. Tales from the Hood, which we've talked about, of course. The film Species, Virtuosity, Copycat. The New Pet Cemetery. Yeah. The films Rounders, Urban Legend. Ghost Rider with Nicolas Cage. Yeah, baby. <laughs> the Hurricane, which is a pretty good film. Yeah, no, no, no. He's done a lot of really cool stuff. The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Urban Legend. I fucking dig that Yeah, Spider-Man 3, which... Yeah. Drag Me to Hell. I'm a big oh, okay, fan there of... there we go. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> the Rum Diary. So, yeah, I mean, some really cool films, man. So, I'm pretty sure our audience has heard some of his music. And because we've mentioned him in Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, I would hope you've heard him. All right. So, outside of these gentlemen and Fastway, I do have some special effects crew on this. We have Doug Beswick Productions Incorporated. They help with the speaker transformation effects in this film. I have two people I want to mention, maybe a little bit later on because of their bodies of work. But Kevin Yeager, he was the special makeup effects creator in this film. He also has a small cameo 
And we also have Daniel Mark. They were the key hairstylist and key makeup artist on this. And like I said, because of their bodies of work, I'll mention them a little bit later on. Some of the producers I have on this, some pretty big names. But I do have Michael S. Murphy and Joel Soizen, which I mentioned they were also some of the writers. But when you start looking at some of their bodies of work, they were line producers. Now, like I said, both of these gentlemen have worked on a lot of the same films. But A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. This is Michael S. Murphy I'm talking about here. He's also helped with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, this goes for both of them because like so They're probably in a lot of them, those. yeah. Uh, some of the other ones I have are Dust Till Dawn Part 2, Texas Blood Money. Mm-hmm. From Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter. District 9, which I thought was really cool. The movie Dread. Not a bad movie. Stone Destiny. Oh, I dig Dread. Dread's fucking dope. Yeah, so, I mean, there's some other shit here. Dracula 2000, The Prophecy, Piranha 3DD. Dracula 2000, The Prophecy, also go for Joel. Some of the differences, yeah. if you go over to Some Joel's of the side. Children of the Corn. I think yeah. Joel is a little bit more into the horror side. Some uh, of the mini Maniac movies. Cop, The Supernaturals, Hambone and Hilly, whatever the fuck that is. I don't, yeah. Yeah. Cool so, shit, but, I mean, some cool shit. Phantoms. Yeah, Phantoms, yo. Ben That's Affleck right. was the bomb. Mimic <laughs> no. 2. Yeah, the other person I have is an associate producer, and this person is Scott White. And I did want to look at some of their credits, too, because they were worth mentioning. But if you've seen such TV shows as Gotham, Hostages, Burn Notice, Without a Trace, he's helped produce those. There was one back in the 90s I used to watch because it was on Showtime and because I shouldn't have been watching shit like that back then. (laughs) But it was a continuation of the Brian Ben-Ben show, but this show was called Dream On, which came out in, like, 1995 and 96. He also was the line producer on Freddy's Nightmares for 22 episodes. So I was like, yeah, I wanted to mention him. All right, our production company for this was the... Daler Antis. Entertainment Group, also known as DEG, which I know we mentioned several times because... Mostly because of Hannibal. Yeah, good old Daler Antis. Yeah, but they helped present this film. They were also the distributors for the 1986 USA theatrical release... It was released, well, today we're recording on the 22nd of October, but it was released October 24th, 1986. Uh, so in two days, we should just rewatch Happy it. Happy birthday, just right? Like, yeah, celebrate. God, 32 celebrate. years. It's crazy, dude. All right, now all the box office for this, I didn't have what its budget was. I didn't get a number for that, but I did get its opening weekend number was $2.9 million here in the States, and it grossed $6.8 million. Imagine it probably grossed a little bit more than that since that time period because of DVDs and what have you. But and still. fucking false advertising. I know, dude. That's probably part of the reason why, too. <laughs> the original cover is actually pretty dope. I don't know why they changed it. To the bullshit I'm looking at over yeah. there. <laughs> when you look at that, it's like, man, what the fuck does I have to do with this movie? Not only, like, the other thing about They're the out packaging. They're out of character, too. <laughs> well, not only are they out of character... But, like, we keep bringing this up, but I keep looking over at your DVD case, and the picture of Gene Simmons that they have, he's about 20 years older than he is in the movie. And the picture of Ozzy, he's at least 15 years older than he is in the movie. I know, what's up with that, dude? That was probably their picture from 2003 when they released that shit. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) That's fucked up. But, yeah, you're right. I don't know what they were thinking. Now, I do have a few taglines. There were four. Two of them were like, ah, they're kind of shit. Two of them I thought was kind of decent. So the two that I went with are, the first one I have is, what are you afraid of? It's only rock and roll. Yeah, okay. And the second one, the ultimate comeback. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah. Do you have the other ones? I'm, I'm curious what the shit ones were. Because neither of those blew my skirt up, but... Alright, so the other two that I have was... A deadly obsession turns into a spine-tingling horror. Okay, that's a bit on the nose, but... And this one, too. If you think Sammy Kerr looks like he's been to hell and back, it's because he has. Okay. Yeah, those are both pretty terrible, too. I don't know what none I would do. None of them are great. Yeah, no. None of them are great. But, but at like least they gave me four. <laughs> exactly. But I don't know what I would do either, so... Yeah, exactly. That's a fucking... That's a tough one. Okay, so that's who I have as far as my crew helped make the film. Now we can talk about the cast. And leading off, our lead actor in this is played by Mark Price. He is Eddie Ragman Weinbauer in this film. Now I went back and looked at some of his early credits. He was more known because he was Erwin Skippy Handelman for 52 episodes of Family Ties. And we've talked about the dad on that show because of a little film we liked way back when. Oh, yeah. So when I looked at Mark Price's, his catalog of films, he started off with a film called The Zoo Gang, which I thought was kind of neat. It's got, I think, Jackie Earl Haley and a couple other people in that film. He was in the film The Rescue. He was also in Killer Tomatoes Eat France. He was more recently in such films as Little Devils, The Birth, and a film called Wigged Out. Now, he's more known for helping produce things these days. I did mention Sammy Kerr because he is played by Tony Fields. Now, Tony Fields, more or less known as a dancer, choreographer. He did act in several films, but he started off as a solid gold dancer by Debbie Reynolds. And Debbie Reynolds was the mother of Carrie Fisher. Wow. He is also one of the dancers in the Thriller music video and, and the Beat It music yeah, video. Yeah, dude, which I thought was really cool. Now, he's been in such films as A Chorus Line, which he helped choreograph some of the things in that. He was in the film Dance Academy. I don't know why I keep bringing this show up, mainly because of some of the people that were in The People Under the Stairs. But I kept mentioning the show Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. It's because he was also in it from 1989 through 1990. He's also, I believe, in an episode or two of Monsters, the television show, back okay. from 1990. He was also in a film called The Doctor. Now, unfortunately, he was a victim of cancer derived from the AIDS virus. So, Ah, uh, the AIDS. Oh, uh, the AIDS, the 80s. Well, here's the thing that I find fucked up looking at his Wikipedia is that a good portion of this movie involves the fact that they were canceling him performing at the high school he yeah, went yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. And every year in his remembrance, there's a showcase at the high school he went yeah, to. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> I was like, that's, I mean, that's kind of cool, though. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's cool, but it's also like, very the fuck. Like, did, very somebody, did somebody see Trick or Treat and were like, know, right? you know what, maybe we should just give him a show. I mean, we saw the movie. We know what happens if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe. It'd be kind of interesting to know... Or be a fly on the wall during that conversation. Yeah. Maybe they had no idea. Maybe they're just like, well, he was a performer. This makes yeah. sense. Like, so maybe it's works. just a cruel irony yeah. or coincidence. Who knows? <laughs> but I did read that too. All right. Now, one of the actresses I have on this is Lisa Orgoloni. She plays Leslie Graham. Now, she didn't have very many films that she was in, but she was in such things as Born to Rye, which stars a Uncle Jesse, John Stevens. Mm. She was also in the film Shining Through. She was in a TV movie I did see, but she was in HBO's Stalin. That came out in like the early 90s. She was also in the film Two Deaths and a film entitled Hideous Kinky. Now the next Oh, that was a Kate Winslet flick. Yeah, sure yeah. was. Yeah, I think that was maybe one of her last works. She I think she acted all the way through the late 90s and then just kind of 
whatever happened, who knows. But the next actor I do have is Doug Savant. He plays Tim Haney. He's got a little bit more body of work because he was in such things as Secret Admirer. He was in the 1985 movie Teen Wolf. I'm a huge fan of. He starred in Knott's Landing, the television show from 1986 through 1987. He was in Maniac Cop 3, he Badge was in of Silence. The, uh, terrible 1998 Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. He was on Melrose Place from 1992 through 1997. He was on 24, the television show, back in 2004. He was more recently in Desperate Housewives from 2004 through 2012. And he was also in The X-Files, which got rebooted back in like a couple of years ago. 2016 was when he appeared in that. But it's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. He's got some more recent bodies of work. Now, the next actress I have, pretty interesting woman. This is Elaine Joy. She plays Angie Weinbauer, the mother. But she went back, and I looked at some of her work, and she was in The Red Skelton Show, which was like a comedy back in the late 60s from 1967 through 1969. She was in the 1980s, early 80s film Motel Hell, which is a horror film. You might have seen her in Mr. Merlin, the television series from 1981 through 1982. I probably saw her as one of the Tony Charmoli dancers on the Danny Kay show because Danny Kay is a treasure and everyone should watch as much Danny Kay as they can. Nice. Now, you might be familiar with this show called The Love Boat. But Where she, everyone made appearances. Yeah. Now, she was in that from 1978 through 1983. She was also in Beverly Hills 90210 from 1995 through 1996. But the reason I wanted to mention her, too, is before he passed away, she was the wife of Neil Simon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that just happened recently. Just recently, yeah. yeah. I was like, wow, what a coincidence that we're talking about her today and him. Mm. Yeah, so that was kind of interesting. Now, I mentioned him before because he went uncredited as a writer in this, but we have Glenn Morgan. He plays Roger Muckus, which is the friend of Eddie Weinbauer in this film. Now, this is his only appearance in a film because he's more or less known as a producer. And some of the things that he helped produce were the television show The Commish back in 1991 through 1993. He helped with both Final Destination 1 and 3, which we mentioned prior. He was also the director of the remake of Black Christmas back in 2006. Willard. Yeah. He helped with Those Who Kill, the television series back in 2014, and also with The X-Files. Oh. Yeah, well, that was really cool. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think he had something to do with Millennium as well, the television series. Whether he was a producer, I think he maybe even wrote and directed a few episodes. Hmm. Well, that was kind of neat as well. Now, the next actress I have, she's got some really cool credits. One big one, because we probably grew up watching it. But we have Alice Nunn. She plays Mrs. Sylvia Cavell in this. She's mostly a cameo appearance, more or less. But she went back... A good bit, and she starred in such things as Johnny Got His Gun. I know we mentioned that before on the show. I was going to say, Johnny, the fact that she was in Johnny Got His Gun actually ties better into this movie than one would normally think if it wasn't for this movie being earlier than the album. Yeah. But, like, considering how tied into metal this movie is, Johnny Got His Gun is the basis for Metallica's one. Yeah. So It's pretty cool, isn't it? I know. That was kind of an interesting, like, loop back in... Right, now, she went on, and she starred in such films as Snakes. It's a horror film. She was in the film The Fury. She was in a film I think you've probably seen more recently because of Mommy Dearest. Well, yeah, Mommy Dearest. Yeah, she was also in Happy Days, a television series. I think she made a few appearances from 1974 through 1981. 
She was also in a TV movie, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. There's a friend of mine, Kevin. He likes to quote it because the main character in that film, he has a line where he says, Bubba didn't do it. <laughs> so we used to say that shit a lot to each other. Now, the film I was mentioning we probably recognize her from is because she is Large Marge in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It's like, wow, She's that amazing. is really yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? But she was also in a Madonna film, Who's That Girl? And she was in a film, Three O'Clock High, which I've seen several times back in the late 80s. I was like, damn, I totally forgot I'd seen that movie. Cool. Yeah. 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 Goddamn, large margin in this movie. Yeah, dude. I was like, That's yeah. who they should have had on the cover. Fuck yeah, man. Would have made more sense. She's I, in it just as much as them. It, yeah, no kidding, right? It's funny, dude. I do have a few other actors and actresses on this. Now, I do have an actress, Claire Toreo. I think she went by Claire No-No. But she plays the character of Maggie Wong Hernandez, which she makes mostly a cameo on this. But when you look at some of her work, she was on the Kung Fu television series from 1974 through 1975. She was in the film 48 Hours. She was also in the film Cujo. That was oh, really neat. Sweet. Yeah. She was in Nightmares, which was a television show, but she was in the segment Terror in Topanga. She was in a film we've mentioned because we went and see Mandy because of that director's father, but she was in Cobra. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. And she was also in two episodes of The Twilight Zone from 1985 and 1986. She mostly and ironically plays like news anchors in films. Okay. Yeah, so it's no coincidence that we see her as a news anchor in this or a television host. I know the next actor I have, who is our director, is Charles Martin Smith. Now, I mentioned not only does he direct and help produce films, but he was an actor, and he has more acting credits than he has anything else. Now, when I look back at his film career, he started off in a film called American Graffiti. Oh, oh George Lucas film. He also was in its sequel. He was also in the Buddy Holly story. I know we like Mr. Busey. <laughs> he was also in the film Starman, which I've mentioned several times because of Mr. Carpenter. Mm-hmm. He was in the film The Untouchables. He was in the episode Halfway Horrible from Tales from the Crypt in 1993. He was in the film The Final Cut. He was also in The X-Files back in 1995. He was also on a show I believe he helped write and direct a few episodes of, but he was in Da Vinci's City Hall from 2005 and 2006. So like, oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, he's done some other films and television series as well, but those are the ones that kind of stood out. Now, I do have another actor in this, and this is played by Terry Laughlin. He plays the senator all of, like, ten seconds of this film. Okay. Now, the reason I brought him up is because of his film career, but he's in such things as Killer, with an exclamation point, which is a horror film. He was in the film Billy Bathgate. He was in a film entitled A Time to Kill. You might have seen him in The Jackal. The film I would have recognized oh, shit. him in. The Jackal's awesome. Yeah, it's a dope-ass film. He was in the film October Sky. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that film. He was also in Joanna Man. Oh, <laughs> you see that's that? a fucking terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was also in the films Out of Time, a Thomas oh. Jane film. I'm sure yeah. you're familiar with, The Punisher. Yeah, I do actually know that movie a little bit. And he was more or less in the show One Tree Hill, which I never watched, but there might be people who are listening have seen it, but he was in it from 2003 all the way through 2012. Yeah, somebody give me a reason to watch OTH, because that dude ain't it. Now there's two (laughs) names we keep mentioning, but I didn't mention because of their characters, but Gene Simmons does play the DJ, the nuke stir in this film that's right and ozzy yeah ozzy osbourne plays reverend aaron gilstrom in this film 
Gene Simmons, of course, famous for being the front man and for bass Kiss. player for Kiss. Jesus. And Kiss Army. Yeah, I mean, and he's done some acting credits. One that I'm more familiar with because I love the films, Detroit Rock City. And Ozzy Osbourne, of course, famous for being out of his fucking mind Black on Sabbath. the Osbournes. Yeah, the Os- <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, you're mad. <laughs> no, for fucking Black Sabbath yeah. and being like one of the godfathers of metal. Dude. If you don't know who Ozzy Osbourne is, what are you doing listening to this episode? For kissing on the Alamo. Yeah. (laughs) Which is funny that you mentioned that because... uh, That's had... In Pee-wee's Big Adventure, he goes to the Alamo. (laughs) There's no basement in the Alamo. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, we've got some pretty big names in this, but that pretty much rounds out my cast and crew, and we gave you a brief synopsis. We should give you some warnings. So, some warnings. So, here's the thing. I was thinking about it earlier. If it wasn't for the language and the titties, this movie's pretty much family-friendly. It kind of is. I was thinking about that earlier. I don't want to get too much in depth, but you're right. If it wasn't for those two factors, I could probably show my nephews this film. Yeah, there is a lot of cussing in this movie, though. A lot. And a couple instances of titties. Yeah, and I'm Otherwise, okay with that. Otherwise, though, like, all, like, the violence and the scares and shit are... It's not that are, bad. There's hardly anything. It's a lot of, like, I don't want to give too much away, but I guess it's a lot of, like, zapping and people just disappearing. Yeah, for the most part. It's almost like magic. Yeah. It's... Not very gory, if at all. I mean, a little bit of makeup. Killer clowns might have been worse. A lot gorier, which is funny to say. Yeah. But you're right. It's pretty tame in comparison, considering its subject matter. Heavy metal mm-hmm. being one of them. But yeah, it's not that bad, really. And uh, for a 1980s film, it's... But there's tits and cursing. Yeah, there's tits and cursing, which like, so I'm okay with that. Yeah. There's some bullying, so if you don't like bullying, there's a little bit of that. Not as much as in most of the Japanese movies we've covered, though. <sighs> I know, right? Wow. Still, I still think about that sometimes. It's fucking weird. It's but... crazy, but you're right. For the most part, it's a pretty friendly movie. Yeah. And not too bad, but we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, so without further ado... Hey, Danny. How'd that make you squeal? Ah! God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh, God, what... What's going on? Oh, Jesus, come on. Oh my God, what's what's going on? Where, where am I? Oh, gee, why? Why? Come on, somebody, somebody. Ah, come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir, come on, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's got to be there. I will shock you. Come on, sir. Come on, sir, you must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? All right, we're back. We're squealing. I always say we're back. Fucking. We are. All, we're still all, here. You, all you had to listen to is the goddamn <laughs> 30 second theme that I will cut down to like 15 seconds max one of these days. But deal with it. It's fucking 30 seconds. <laughs> That's uh, right. It gives you time to, you know, get refreshments and all right, good stuff. Yeah, fucking get your vinegar strokes out. Yeah, that's right. You got a tinkle. There you go. All that good stuff. Get a uh, snack. I mean, I suppose we mentioned our butt earlier, but I added a beer. I know you added oh, yeah. a beer. So I'm currently drinking on the Elysian Night Owl Pumpkin Ale because I'm basic. No, it's because our fucking Halloween episode. Yeah, dude. I don't of course blame I'm you. on the pumpkin Cheers. ale. What do you got over there? All right. So on occasion, I like to indulge in an IPA. You know, that sounds kind of basic white boy, but... Yeah, I don't know who's more basic, mine being pumpkin or yours being an IPA. Well, I can say this. Right now, probably... If mine was well, a pumpkin IPA... <laughs> 
<laughs> I was just saying, we're both basic. There's no contest here. We're both basic. I will say this in my defense, though. I got on the IPA train long before it became popular for microbreweries. Okay, in my defense. <laughs> just saying. Just saying in my defense. But no, today I'm drinking Madison River Brewing Company's, based out of here in Montana. They're the Juice Double IPA. So it's not too bad. I mean, like so on occasion, I like an IPA. This time of year, though, I prefer stouts. And once I get into stouts, I'll mention the one. I know. I generally prefer stouts. Legion's good, though, dude. They I know. I, and I think this might be one of the only pumpkin beers that I've liked. I've yeah. tried a few here and there because I yeah. like pumpkin shit. But this pumpkin ale is pretty fucking good. There so. you go. I have nothing against pumpkins, but it gets a little blown out of proportion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pumpkin section. Jesus. Pumpkin sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get in a fucking trick-or-treat. There wasn't any pumpkins mm. in this, was there? <laughs> uh, yeah, there were a few, actually. I was thinking about that after we saw that. Fucking Halloween. Everything's wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did, Yeah, couldn't help but notice pumpkins when I got home last night, too. I was like, God damn, there they are. But here's, I guess, a good way to lead off with this is maybe I should ask you is when was the first time that you remember seeing this film? Oh, no, I'd never seen this before. Oh. So the first time I saw this was two days ago. Wow. Okay. So, since I'm the old fart of the group, <laughs> this was I a I didn't film. know this existed. Oh, well, you, I mean, yeah. I knew it existed in the fact that, like, as soon as I became a fan of Trick or Treat, I realized... There was a Trick or Treat. Were, yeah, exactly. But <laughs> That's awesome. In fact, I thought that this was a slasher movie. Well, and it's not. It's a ghost no, it's story. Not. Exactly. <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah. All right. Kind of... We didn't end up covering it yet. It's kind of like another movie that we watched recently. Oh, yeah. Good point. Good point. I know exactly what you're saying. No, I will say this. Like I said, since I'm the resident old fart of the group, is back in the late 80s as a, a product of the 80s. This was one of the films that my parents... I think it was my parents who rented this. Not a lot to think about it, because I think I've seen it with my brother and my sister, Ashley. I remember watching it. I didn't remember all the details, of course, because I really haven't seen this film probably since we rented it back... Sometime, I would imagine 88, 89, okay. somewhere around then is probably when I first seen it. And honestly, I probably hadn't seen it since. It had been that long. So there was a lot of details I forgot about. There was a few things, mostly scenes, that I could remember. Mm-hmm. But yeah, outside of that, it was still kind of foggy. I just remembered it came out around the time where there was a couple of like heavy metal-themed horror films were popping up. This one being one of them. Another one was Black Roses. Okay. There was another, there was like three films essentially, that were the big ones. Oh, we're going to talk about heavy metal horror movies here in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, so I do want to say, I guess, since this was my first time with it, my overall impression of it is, ooh, this is a fun one. It is, Uh, dude. Well, here's the thing, like, this is not a good movie, but I really, really liked watching this movie. (laughs) There are a few things, too. I really enjoy this movie. Yeah, I did, too, man. I was a little leery. I mean, I knew we were going to do this film because we had planned it last year because Mm -hmm. of Trick or Treat. Yeah, oh, yeah. This film, we've been planning to do this film for an entire year now. We have been laughing the entire year. I'm like, oh, we did Trick or Treat last year. Let's do Trick or Treat. Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? Hang on our face. But you're right, dude. I had a really good time revisiting this film. Like you said, it's not great by any stretch of the imagination. It's probably not even really that good, like you're saying. But it's still entertaining as fuck. So does that mean next year we should do like trick-or-treaters? <laughs> Something like that. I was thinking about this earlier. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. But I mean, 
considering i think you know back-to-back years it's not a bad way to kick off halloween no and god since we're talking about halloween and what we've done in the past we should point out that halloween is time-wise our two-year anniversary yeah now we've technically been recording for over two years at this point because we dropped three episodes on halloween yeah we did and we're not actually going to count our anniversary on the year because it's Halloween and that should be special on its own right. So we've decided to celebrate every 50 episodes. So yeah. we're, we're still like two months out from actually like celebrating two years for us. Exactly. But you know, it's still but technically, a nice way. We dropped our first episodes on Halloween. We sure did. This is our Halloween episode, even though it's coming out a couple of days before. Yeah. So really we have had three years of Halloween now. Yeah. Technically. So yeah, man, it's fun, dude. But because of last year we did Trick or Treat, we mentioned, we were like, yeah, let's do Trick or Treat this year. And man, a lot to say about this film. So here's the other thing. Fuck you to this movie, because this movie made me write three pages of notes. The first two pages only cover the first 40 minutes of this movie. And then I got sick and tired of writing notes. And so everything else in the last half is just like what I could actually bring myself to write down. But to be honest, I'm not sure how much any of it actually matters and how many notes I'm actually going to say out loud. But this movie is that much fun that I was just like, oh my fucking God, are you kidding me? Now there's a lot of it. So thinking about when I'd seen it when I was young and then rewatching it and all the stuff that starts coming back, the first thing that probably jumps out to me at least is how 80s this film is. It's like super 80s, man. So it kind of put me right back into that time, in a sense, you know? Mm -hmm. I was like, all right. One of the first things that I notice about this film is people's hairdos. (laughs) How many mullets and spikes and bangs there are in this film. And the clothes and just... I think it's just the demeanor. Like, it's not always the prettiest, you know, like super glossy, like modern films Mm -hmm. where a film maybe of this caliber now would have a lot more handsome characters. (laughs) And that's not to speak anything against the people in this film because they're not bad looking people. No, the gals all looked great. Yeah, I like no complaints there. But our lead actor, yeah, our lead actor, I was thinking for that time period, they probably could have chose a better lead. But that's no discredit to him as an actor because I think he still did a pretty damn good good job. job, Especially by the end. Super believable. By the end, he was selling it. The other fuck you to this movie, though, is that his voice. So normally when I do my watch through where I take notes, I watch it at like one and a half times speed so that while I'm pausing it. So when I pause to take notes, it ends up taking the same amount of time. It makes sense, yeah. When I tried doing that with this movie... His voice was still too high-pitched, and so I couldn't really make out what he was saying, and yeah. so I had to watch this movie over, like, two and a half hours to take notes. Jeez, I'm and I there. enjoyed this movie, but fuck you for making me that movie. That's funny, dude. <laughs> and casting. <laughs> no doubt. I would imagine, riding off the back of Family, family ties. ties, yeah, Family Ties, that, you know, he was probably a little bit more of a hot actor, so to speak, during that time period. Was, was Family Ties before this? I thought he played a little bit older character than that in this. Because I thought he was like a handyman or something in that. No, he was a friend. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was a younger kid. But regardless, yeah. He was a little bit more of a hot actor back then. And of course, he cooled down a lot. But no discredit to him. I think it was still a pretty decent choice. Like I say, he was very believable as his character in this film, too. See, so what I look for immediately in a movie like this is what I jump on is the fact that it's based very heavily around metal. 
and I am a giant metal fan. So I immediately am like, what bands is he listening to? Does everything seem right? Because different subgenres have different parts of the subculture attached to them. I am happy to say that this movie seemed pretty fucking right. Like, the bands he was listening to, Priest and Lizzie Borden and all the shit that they show in the course of the movie, like, he was in the right attire. Like, it was proto-thrasher, fucking new wave British heavy metal, all that shit. Like, that seemed pretty on point. I mean, it shows you the accuracy of the time period, too. Now, we kind of allude a little bit, too, to the fact that during that time period with certain music like this, heavy metal and probably hip-hop, maybe a little bit of early rap, stuff like that, you had these groups. Was it PRMC was one of them? Yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of spearheaded by a vice president's wife. Tipper Gore was kind of spearheading that movement because they were trying to censor a lot of music, which they deemed too racy and even this film alludes to it like porn rock oh my god i want to get to that really badly but let's oh my god like i said i have so many notes here i have to say first off before we get too far past it before we get to them alluding to the pmrc senate hearings they show that picture of sammy the poster (laughs) yeah just fucking hideous that's one of the worst one of the, my biggest gripe with this movie is that he's this giant fucking fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would keep that piece of fucking work up above everything else. <laughs> yeah. Like, I grew up a metalhead. My fucking bedroom walls growing up were just covered with the faces of really weird looking men. Understandable. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. If the only option I had for the lead singer of a band I was into was a poster that looked like that... I would not buy the poster, and I would just put up some album artwork. Uh, Yeah, I can totally (laughs) agree with you there. That is not the most flattering shot of Tony Fields at all. It's not even the best shot of, not just of him, but of the actual character of Sammy Kerr. I agree. Sammy Kerr, in the rest of the movie, like, went out and, like, walking in the makeup and shit looks good like it's all believable at least like good is subjective i suppose well i know what you mean but it's a lot more believable than that particular poster shot mm-hmm. a lot yeah, more glamorous I, too that was fucking i had to make a note of that i was like I agree with that's you there. fucking terrible <laughs> and we already started talking about it and then we'll get back to the pmrc okay. stuff does the trope of the picked on metalhead really hold up anymore no, I don't think it does. Maybe back then because it was still in its infancy in a way. You can't no, use it anymore because now the metalhead's like, you're scared that they're going to go Columbine, right? Yeah. I think you get a little bit of that. And some people, I guess depending on where you grew up and how religious perhaps that mm-hmm. area you are, some of it's deemed like Satan worshiping and the devil's music and all that shit. So there's that dark cloud that already hangs over metal. So there's some of that. And I think just the imagery too. It's not the most glamorous side of uh, society. And yet we still end up with this weird horror subgenre that's metal kids summoning evil. Yeah. You have like this movie. You have like The Gate. How much was he picked on in Deathgasm? Because that's kind of recent. A little bit, but not, I mean, not wholeheartedly, not as much as this. That was more because he was black metal and wearing corpse paint, which makes you look weird in any scenario. Yeah, you're already standing out. Yeah. Like a sore thumb. But yeah, I mean... But not necessarily because he was a metalhead, but because he was so hardcore that he was 
like full regalia all the time. Exactly. In New Zealand, was that yeah, it was Death New Chasm? Zealand. Yeah, yeah, it sure was. Which I mean, they're they're a bit polite for, for that. <laughs> yeah, considering New Zealand is just like the Canada of the Pacific. So I'm all right with that. Eventually, one day, one day we'll make it. Down that's there. that's what I gather from New Zealand anyway. Yeah, okay. prove us wrong. <laughs> Or prove us right, hopefully, because I would love to just like hang out with some like kind. No, New I'm Zealanders. okay with that, dude. Yeah. Uh, Fly the Concords, I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah. Right. So thinking about that too, with like it being in the '80s, and we're talking about the metal here. Is I was trying to think of like during that time period, not necessarily '86, because I would have only been four, so there was not a whole lot I would have remembered. But going into like maybe the later '80s, I was thinking about some of the bands. Fastway a little bit too because I was listening to them a little earlier uh, throughout the week. They have similarities with like Motley Crue and stuff like that. That was the thing. I thought Sammy think looked like that. pretty glam. Yeah, and I'm more like, like well, and I'm band. like, well, glam isn't like well, glam is going, but like hair metal isn't in full swing yet. Yeah, but he didn't huh. look like the rest of the stuff that he was listening to. Yeah, oh, well, like more thrash style and. Proto thrash because eighty six would have been yeah. or kind of eighty four would have been around the beginnings of thrash eighty two through eighty four and so yeah. the stuff like the priest and stuff he was listening to is more like the stuff that all the thrash guys listened to that influenced Pre- them. yeah that makes so. sense I mean considering what you Shit, see too I on mean, his walls Fastway UFO like Kirk Hammett of Metallica that was thrash metal yeah exactly loved UFO so. Like, there there's the connection right there. Makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff leading up to that time period. But about the, mo- the songs in this movie, yeah, another one of my very, very early on notes is all the songs that Fastway did for this movie, little on the nose. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Or maybe extremely on the nose. I mean, it lends his hand heavy to this film. And it- I think this movie... <laughs> How much better would this movie have been received overall if instead of a Fastway soundtrack, when Eddie is tearing posters off the walls, <laughs> the song is literally saying, tear it down, tear down the walls. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying by on the nose because, yeah. Or would it have been better received if they would have ponied up the cash? to license songs from the bands he was actually supposed to be listening to. Good point. Do you think it would have increased reception of this movie enough to have balanced it out to make it worth that investment? It's a solid point in part because the band Fastway, they're an English band, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so how big were they marketed back then? Honestly, I don't know. Probably not as heavy as some of the bands we already talked about or alluded to. Like, Judas Priest, or it could have been Twisted Sister, Anthrax, all that shit, you know? Oh, yeah, that, that's, yeah, Anthrax. Bad, like, bands like that. And they all have songs that thematically would fit into these different moments that these Fastway yeah. songs are used. Right, exactly. I think that's a solid point because I do know a few facts, and I'm pretty sure you've seen it too. Like, at one point, Blackie Lawless, oh, was he auditioned for board. it. Yeah. He was auditioned for the part of Sammy Kerr. And the director, he already had Fastway in mind for the soundtrack and all that stuff. Blackie uh, didn't want to do it unless yeah, Blackie unless, could like, do the like, music. I already have a band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's something else. This is like a little nerdy thing. Oh, by the way, I think I would have preferred, no offense to fucking Dave King, yeah. but I think I would have preferred Wasp doing the soundtrack. That would have been pretty dope. I looked at, I mean, I know who Blackie Lawless is, but the dude's a pretty big figure. He's like 6'4". What I was going to mention really quickly, too, is at one time, he was also considered as a T-1000. 
Oh, D2. Shit. But Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, he's too tall for the part. He's not believable. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Was it uh, Robert Patrick? Mm-hmm. Got the part? Yeah. So anyway. Oh, it's like, I didn't that's, know that. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. dope. Did Blackie end up doing much acting? No, I don't think so. I think there was a few bit things. That but he tried I was curious and then when he too. didn't get it. Yeah, and then he was yeah. like, oh, like, fuck it. But I was thinking, like, how he would have looked at that part. He would have been perfect. That honestly. reminds me, there was a couple times in this movie where it's not like they were going for this by any means, but it's just the way he naturally looks. But where Mark did look a little Danziggy. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that works for him. Like, yeah. Oh, all right. Since we're talking about this. I was thinking, you know how we like to do, like, what if you could do this or change this about certain films? I was thinking, because he looks so much like Craig Sheffer from Nightbreed, I was like, I wonder how that oh, would have been. That would have been good, right? Yeah. It's like, he, he probably been of age. Like Craig Sheffer, doesn't <laughs> They got he? the same kind of facial yeah. features. Which and... means he looks kind of like Boreans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine? Maybe Boreans could be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. Mark grew on me by the end of the movie. I like Mark. In the very beginning of the movie, especially because this is my first time watching it, he was my least favorite part for like the first quarter of the movie. And then he slowly started to grow on you. Yeah, he does grow on you for sure. And like I said, he yielded his own, so that's no disrespect to him. I think they did a really good job of casting him, honestly. Okay, so when he finds out that Sammy's dead, Mm -hmm. I don't know how this movie's an hour and 40 minutes. Dude, no shit, right? Which isn't that long. I mean, that's... 10 Not minutes really. over feature film length. But when you're going through it, it's like, oh, this kind of feels like it could be a lot shorter. Once again, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I just, there was a, I don't yeah, there's underst- a few things that probably I don't cut understand out, but... how it's as long as yeah, it is. But... Thir- yeah, almost 40. You're right. Damn. But when he finds out pretty early on that Sammy died right after he was going to write him his another Stan letter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, right. They basically set Sammy up to be a character kind of like that was involved in the PMRC hearings. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they sort of set him up to be a lot less sympathetic D. Wallace. Or D. Snyder. <laughs> D. Snyder, not, yeah, yeah. Not D. Wallace. I know you're... <laughs> that would have been different, wouldn't it? We talked about Cujo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've actually, back in my days of being in school, did a couple different reports oh, on the PMRC really cool. hearings and have read the transcripts of the entire thing. I'll bet they're fucking ridiculous. And I, I really wish that the writers would have done that and set Sammy up to be a character who wasn't just kind of a total threatening dickwad right off the get-go. Yeah. Because I think that also could have helped this movie a little bit, too. And I know that they were sort of setting him up to be the bad guy later in the movie, but I still think that they could have made it him less outright threatening the Senate, the equivalent in the movie. I can't remember if it was supposed to actually be the Senate, but... But, you know, I mean, it's this what it kind of alludes to, but you're absolutely right about that. What I thought was kind of neat, too, is some of the people, I mean, the real people at that time period who were speaking on behalf of the artist. One of them was John Denver. Yep. And uh, Frank Zappa. Yeah. Which is really cool because those are very respectable people in the music industry, you know, and amongst their peers. So to have voices like that. Honestly, like. Check out what you can of those hearings if you never have uh, before. D. Snyder is a pretty interesting fellow, too. D. Snyder. He's no joke showed up and i think they all thought that they were going to walk all over him Mm -hmm. and he showed up and was like this is all fucking act like i'm an artist i'm also intelligent and can talk to you people yeah exactly it's that's what i think when you pull back the veneer of characterizations of ourselves or characters we portray in the arts it is a whole different ball game when you get to meet people down just on a personal level like (laughs) 
just because you see them, whether they're artists in terms of music or in this case, film, it's like they're still people. They still can form their own opinions. They don't have to just read lines. <laughs> Speaking about artists, though, or maybe artists, <laughs> question mark? Okay. Because it's not very long after that that Eddie goes down to the fucking radio station. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To talk to Nuke. Yes, sir. Nuke, of course, being Gene Simmons, possibly being the most charming he's ever been in his entire life. All right, yes and no. Yes and no. And I, I'll, I'll tell you why. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just kind of wanted to take a moment to talk about fucking how weird of a character Gene Simmons is, just in general. And, yes, he's very AR. Because, oh my god, it's the weirdest thing. Like, dude's pretty admittedly, through his quotes, not really an artist. One of my favorite quotes from, favorite kind of quotes <laughs> from Gene Simmons is like, with Kiss, he said, uh, most bands set out to be the Beatles. We set out to be McDonald's. Oh, damn. Yeah, I mean, when you look at how much they promoted themselves... but And that's wow. the thing, though. They were absolutely successful. No doubt. Kiss Mania happened. The Kiss Army happened. Most of my favorite musical acts would not exist. Probably a lot of my favorite artists wouldn't exist point. without Kiss's influence. No doubt, dude. Kiss definitely influenced how I look at art and, like, being on stage and personas people take on and this yeah. and that. But by all accounts, Gene Simmons is a kind of a garbage person. <laughs> I, I'm not going to argue with you there. That was a yes and no. Also, you don't need to put fucking rock and roll all night party every day on every fucking album, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's funny, dude. Here's a part where I think he is kind of endearing in this film is because when Mark does go to visit him, you know, it's in relation to him learning about Sammy's death and, you know, how much it blows and all that stuff. And what appears to be a very generous offer, a very kind offer, a very thoughtful offer, actually turns into nightmares. <laughs> so what I mean by that is it seems that Nuke knew Sammy Kerr because Sammy went to the same high school, apparently. Right. And he talked about the fact that, hey, kid, you didn't know him. He was always angry. And he just so happens to have his last recording, his last pressing on vinyl. He gives it to Eddie. He's like, oh, dude, this is bitching. You know, it's like super cool. You're like, man, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool of him. But here's the thing. It's like, well, hold on. <laughs> he's actually planting a seed because he has a backup tape that he's going to play on Halloween. And he says something or alludes to something like, I'm going to play this at midnight, Halloween. Sammy's, in, he doesn't say on this tape, he's in this tape. So it's like, oh, hold on. Because honestly, after their little encounter and maybe one more like over the air kind of announcement, you don't see him the rest of the film. Right. So. Right, because he's not around at the end. Yeah, so what my point being is, was he really kind or was he planting the seed for Sammy's comeback? He was just doing his best Wolfman Jack. <laughs> well, he said, yeah. He's the reason he turned down the part of Sammy Kerr is because he grew up listening to Wolfman Jack and wanted to honor him through this role. Which, like, I mean, he's believable as a DJ, no doubt. Does a good job. Honestly, a lot of people probably wouldn't have recognized him out of makeup. It took me a while to figure out, like, damn, these dudes look a whole lot different when they're not in costume. Holy shit. Well, yeah, that's true. 
Let's see. So we're about 15 minutes into the movie, and that's one page down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So we find out, yes, Sam McCurr died in a freak fire accident at a hotel. Eddie goes, visits <laughs> DJ Wolfman slash Nuke, gets that LP, goes home, and starts to play it. Okay, so he starts to play it. He has the weird occurrence. He meets up with his friend. Mm-hmm. They're talking about it and shit. And I couldn't help but think at that point that if this movie were remade today... Because of, like, you can't just play the picked-on metalhead straight anymore. It's not as believable anymore. I kind of feel like if it were remade today, Eddie and his friend, I can't remember his Roger. name. Eddie and Roger would be merged into one character. I could see and that, he yeah. would be a nerdy metalhead to have two strikes against him. There you go. To yeah, make him a you could meld the, the two. You're absolutely right. And then he would still have a friend, and they would just make up a goofy funny fat friend i'm okay with that stoner friend yeah i'm okay with that he would still have to be just funny enough though to be able to believingly deliver what roger's lines were in this one i like Mm -hmm. that yeah let's see there's two scenes that i kind of want to talk about that are kind of in that mix like right after Mm -hmm. he gets the lp one of them is the shower scene that he has where he's in the shower he winds up getting picked on by the bullies that's where you know oh right that happens he gets kicked out into the gym. <laughs> like, uh-oh. Ass, balls, everything. That's when you find out that his crush, Leslie, she's starting to see like him probably for who he is and the shit that he has to deal with because of her friends and mm-hmm. the ilks of her friends. There's that shift. But I was like, that's a total 80 scene because how many times have you seen that during that time period? You know, or somebody yeah, gets How many times hosed. have you seen Mark Price's bare ass? I think no. if you pay close enough attention, you might even get to see a little I bit of balls, little balls and maybe yeah. a little I was little say the same thing. <laughs> a little penne. I was about to say, I'm pretty sure I saw a little bit of balls. Yeah, you might even get to see a little bit of goat slash donkey. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, okay, I feel from there. And the other one was actually the pool scene. Okay, the so pool party. I wanted to talk about the pool party as well, because yeah. this movie skates by... This wasn't something I thought about till after the movie. Yeah. This movie does a good job of putting you in the context of Eddie's experiences, and you're seeing the world as Eddie experiences it. So it might not occur to you the first time you hit the pool party that, in context, those are supposed to be 16-year-old tits you're seeing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Like, underage boobies. It's supposed to, in context, it's supposed to be underage. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're right. This is high school. So nobody... Along with the tits later on. Yes. So nobody should be older than 18 at least. Unless you're assuming that they're all 18-year-old seniors. Yeah, I highly doubt that. It might not have been their intention, but that's what it alludes to. These are high school age kids. And to be fair, it wasn't like till after the movie was over, but after the scene was <laughs> over, I thought about it for a second and I was like... There's some boobs right there. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. There's no way they were all supposed to be 18-year-old seniors. No. Like, no, no. this is high school. In context, that was high school tits. Yeah, yeah, in context, that <laughs> was. It's like, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think Mark, at the time, Mark Price, he would have been kind of around that age, like high school age. Mm-hmm. But the rest, I would imagine, are probably in their early 20s. I would yeah. Yeah. Late teens, 19. Oh, most of the bullies looked like they were oh, mid-20s at least. Yeah, I mean, especially the, lead, the dude who played Tim. Mm-hmm. He looked a lot older. But yeah, you're right. I mean, in context, high school kids. So the pool party, the thing I wanted to talk about was upon probably second viewing, there was some foreshadowing with that scene. And what I mean by that 
is Leslie asked him if he's going to go to the party because of all that shit that happened to him in the gym. He winds up showing up. He gets pushed in the pool by the jocks. She goes down, helps him out, yada, yada. So there's already a couple things there. We already know that somehow he's going to get out of that situation water-wise, which happens later on in the film. And number two, the first time that he kind of has an experience like this with Leslie and the last time, he's sopping wet is what I'm getting at. That's not the only foreshadowing. So, no, there's a lot of foreshadowing that's paid actually. Off really well. Another there's thing something I'd... else that I made note of yeah, yeah, that's yeah, coming up in a couple scenes. I'll bring it up then. I don't want to cut you off too much. No, now, no, you're but fine. But there I'm is like, some foreshadowing for sure. That's why, because this movie really isn't that great of a movie. No, but I use it. But that's good why devices. it's still a very enjoyable movie because they do the right things to totally agree. Get you through the movie in a fun way. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, here's a few things that I can take away from it because I do know this film was shot in Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Wilmington is on the southeastern This one's from North Carolina. (laughs) But it's, for those who don't know or maybe who are curious, it's a coastal town in North Carolina. It's not too far away from the border of South Carolina on its coast. It's like a four and a half hour drive to Spartanburg from where I grew up. But here's the thing I wanted to mention. It's in that area. I don't know how far in the southeast it goes. But some of the architecture in the homes, inside the homes specifically, like that kid Roger, when he's playing the tape, and you see his either the den or the living room that he's in, you see like the mantelpiece for the fireplace and the mirror above it. Mm-hmm. It's like that looks just like my grandma's freaking den when I grew up. And there's another thing when he's trying to unlock that kid's door to get the tape in his car. Right. When he leaves, he's leaving on a moped that has pedals. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's funny because my uncle. When he was growing up during that time period, had the same fucking bike, and we used to keep it in the shed. So there was times growing up where I never got to ride it like that, but I could like push it down the hill and pretend like I was on a mm-hmm. moped. <laughs> but I was like, damn, that's funny, because I haven't seen one of those probably since then. What that scene got me to thinking was the fact that uh, I don't think Slim Jim's work on all these new cars. <laughs> He just had it unlocked. Yeah, he had that coat hanger. God, yeah, because that's funny. I remember like growing oh, that's up. That's totally pre-slim Jim. I well, maybe not so much, but right, right. But I remember like growing up, like people accidentally locking their key in their cars, and there it was, was old enough such cars. Has gap, but it was also old enough cars where everything relied on mechanical, mechanical yeah. shit. That, like, I learned how to use a coat hanger and a slim Jim to unlock. Yeah, a car. if you know which like, like little rod or whatever to pull yeah, up, just, yeah. Jimmy that, that you're good. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I've done exactly We're not encouraging it. But, but we, well, we're familiar. Yeah. And like every other person I knew had a Slim Jim. Like, yeah, which is I, weird I, looking back on the new. But. It is. I mean, it's another thing that reminds me of too, like growing up during that time period. As funny as this sounds, there are two things particularly is the Walkman, mm-hmm. the tape Walkman, and actually using a house phone. <laughs> Not a lot of people now have those things. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who has a freaking, like a little Walkman tape cassette player mm-hmm. or a freaking house phone, let alone a rotary phone. They don't use that in there, but I'm just saying in general. Okay, back to the pool. There was something just bonkers about <laughs> what happened there right before he got pushed in the water. When the chick's like, I just want to talk to him for a second. Yeah. She's like, why do you have to be so creepy? Like... It's like, I don't, what, what do you mean? It's like, see, you would know what you, what I meant if you like, if you weren't so creepy, you'd know what I mean. Like, do you even care who's running for student council? Yeah, what the fuck like, was wait, that? Wait, what the fuck? 
And then I'm like, wait, I stopped it just to check to see if that was ADR because it was so out of nowhere. Like she's asking about being yeah, creepy yeah, yeah. and then it immediately student council isn't brought up at any other point. No, in this that's the only reference to it. It, there's no like posters, at least not that I noticed, hanging up in the Me background. It's mostly like, Halloween themed things. Yeah, because it's supposed to be right around Halloween. That's exactly. why this movie's fucking trick or treat. <laughs> exactly, right? What the fuck are you talking about, Genie? I was like, are you fucking kidding? Why? Why? <laughs> I, maybe in a weird way, it was kind of to drive home the point that these are still high school kids. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but you're right. In the context of the film, it makes no why? fucking sense why she would even mention that. Oh, and then his response once he's outside, I fucking just laughed. Oh, I'm glad you're about to say this, because I think we're probably on the same page what, here. What, I'm going to nail him? Yes. Fucking nail him. It's like, who says that? No one says that. You're not going to nail anybody. Don't say that. You can use a different adjective to describe phrasing. what you're going to do. Phrasing. Yeah. Don't say you're going to nail them. still doing phrasing? It sounds like you're going to have sex with these guys, or you're going to let them run the train on you. <laughs> and then, oh my god. For as much zapping as Sammy does in the last half of this movie, yeah. the first part of him actually starting to help, help, yeah, 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 air quotes out Eddie, is shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. You have the fucking chase scene. I love that. Honestly, I love that scene because it feels right at home in the 80s. If, absolutely. And I was like, yes, that was one of the things that actually pulled me into this film a lot. With lyrics going in the background saying, <laughs> get tough, the boys had enough. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Since we're talking about quotes here, right? And this is still in the same thing because one of the first things he learns when he's playing the LP backwards is it says to him, let the big fish hurt themselves. You're the bait. The bait is you. That wraps back around at the end. Yeah, it sure does. That's the other thing I was going to point out, because he ends up being the bait yeah. to bring in Sammy in the car. I was like, oh my god, they did that really well, Yeah, to be completely honest. There is clever writing on this. I mean, when you look at it as a whole, there's pretty clever. However, that also brings up the fact that <laughs> that record was off and on between completely cogent and fucking cryptic as shit. Yeah, no shit, right? You have like, yeah, yeah, you are the bait, the bait is you, into the record specifically telling him quiet. Yeah. <laughs> and like laughing at him and calling him Ragman. Yeah, did you catch the Nevermore reference to? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, fuck, there you go. But then it switches back to being like telling him 66 crush. crush 66 crush. And you're like, yeah. Which is like, okay, room 66. Crush Drive or something, and then uh, obviously the shit that goes on in there. Feature? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, in a remake, you know that the bully would have just been killed then. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that he remake, would. <laughs> like in a modern day remake, Eddie would throw the switch to turn off the power, and, and the machine would still go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was kind of hoping he get killed, but then I was like, ah, oh, well, considering how everybody else gets killed in this film, it makes sense they wouldn't do it that way. You, you know that. Oh, it. yeah, for yep. sure, dude. He's a goner right there and there. He's getting drilled. Also, I don't understand the person Eddie turns into when he's filled with the confidence of listening to the record. <laughs> like, what are those you're wearing? Jeans. They're you. Chow. Chow. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was hilarious because the second time through, all right, 
how that happens, and you have to make note too that there are a few kind of creeper scenes in this film. One of them is his buddy Roger is sitting there staring up this cheerleader skirt. Not that I blame him, but I mean he's just hanging out in the hallway watching up her skirt while she's hanging. And at how Banner. is nobody calling him out? Because that yeah. was a fucking full right hallway there. Yeah. <laughs> then Eddie rolls up, and you're like, "What the fuck is he wearing?" And that's what he chooses to say to Leslie. Yeah. What are you wearing? That's so you. Ciao. It seemed like it was from a what? completely different <laughs> high school movie. Yeah, he, he gained that like, plays. That still plays. That's still an eighties scene. Oh, that's still something is. that would happen. Huge. Some fucking not even just eighties, like nineties sitcom too. Yeah, also for sure. did that shit a lot where like kid shows up super confident, is completely <laughs> in a different character who's immediately trying to be faux fancy, saying shit like chow, all that. But it it's nowhere near what they're doing with the rest of this movie. No, it was just like brief in that one particular scene. Yeah, because he doesn't really do that anymore at all. It's weird. I did make note of that too. That's funny. I also had to make note of dude going to take the longest piss in the world <laughs> when his chick's hot to trot. Oh, man, dude. All right. All right. There's a few things in that scene that are kind of awkward to begin with. One of them, of course, is the fact that she in puts context, in, she's 16. Yeah, in context, she's 16. <laughs> she puts in the tape that Eddie gives to Tim. That's a, the dude, mm-hmm. right? And it's like a peace offering, quote unquote. She puts on the tape while Tim goes to take a wizard. They're getting hot and heavy. And she puts it on. And because of the music, Sammy somehow is music like... Music makes you take control. Yeah, it's like taking Make her clothes music, off. She's control. getting she's getting music hot and heavy. You lose control. You get to see some IBTCs. <laughs> and I had to keep telling myself, I was like, you know what? She's a pretty decent looking gal, but she's probably someone's mom, perhaps grandma right now. <laughs> so don't get too carried away. All that shit happens. And then when she kind of comes to, she's greeted by this monster that I believe raped her. I don't think it did anything except <laughs> appear to her and freak her out. And then the car was rocking, the fucking, bro. Oh, that's true. <laughs> But all you see happen, well, all you know happened for sure yeah, is that yeah. her ears are burnt to fuck. That was pretty good. That was cool. That, that was, was really the cool. only good gore in this movie. For the most part, yeah. For the most part. I mean, the makeup effects are pretty good, but yeah, gore-wise, that was the best gore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now I was also thinking, too, because not Music too long after that, control. make you lose control, <laughs> <laughs> is Tim shows up at Eddie's that night, and he's confronting him. Those are where you see the pumpkins. Uh, all right. right. Okay. <laughs> all right. But what I was getting at is that I was thinking there's no way she lived from that. She's deaf now, for sure. She's deaf. But he's like, she's in the hospital. I thought, how the fuck did she not die? <laughs> well, I mean, when they cut back to her, that's the only thing Jesus. you can see that's wrong with her, though. Her ears are fucked up. Yeah. I still think she got raped. Not that I want that to happen, but I think that's what happened. We'll make the alternate cut. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's Danny's cut. <laughs> that's the Danny cut. That's a Danny that's special DC's. cut. Oh, my God. All right, so that was one of the things, like, man, how the hell did... Because I wanted to see how many people died in this film. So I did a little death note, but Mm -hmm. she didn't. I was like, all right, okay, I'll let that one slide. Tim should have died by the drill. He doesn't. He dies in a weird way at the end. So that's actually the scene, too, where I got really tired of taking notes. Yeah. There's this... It felt like some of that stuff was a little rushed towards the end. So, yeah, and so I don't have anything else until when they're at the dance. Okay. Dance is pretty cool. Right, they're at the dance, nerdy homie. Yeah, Roger. Roger, Roger, he puts the tape in because he was threatened. And Leslie comes up and asks him, Judas? <laughs> yeah, Judas, pretty what? Shield, what? 
Who well, you're right, Judas. Them is Judas. Yeah. Not priest. No, no, she just said Judas. Right? Because, I mean, well, the, the classic question oh, is priest or maiden. Maybe now, because you're saying this out loud, it's kind of ringing a bell a little bit. Yes, we know she's probably referring to Judas Priest, but in a weird way, he is playing a Judas. That's true. That's true. So maybe that's just clever writing. Good point. I didn't think of it like that. Not just because you're saying I was thinking of it more because I'm like, yeah, Judas you're Priest. a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now I think in the way that these writers are, they might have done that intentionally. Like, But I mean, you always have the classic question, though, Priest or me. No doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one says Judas. Nobody says. Yeah, nobody says Judas. Not referring to Judas Priest. No. And she wouldn't. And How you would could you, know? you could say that she's out of the loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if she's so out of the loop, she probably wouldn't know their first name to say Judas to begin yeah, with. Yeah, exactly. All right, now, two bits. You say it aloud. It makes me think maybe a writing plot or device. That, and that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Second thing. Because we keep saying that this movie is actually written a lot better than it kind of It gets seems. credit for yeah. it, I think, yeah. Number two is, I want to talk about Leslie for a second. Her having interest in Mark makes no sense. I mean, she's yeah, being I don't nice. know where that came from. Yeah. I don't know if it's just I don't like, have anything against it, per no, no, se. No, 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 but... no. But she's too much of a baby doll for him. Sorry. <laughs> she's way out of his league is what I'm trying to say. I mean, I understand her character, but their romance, like, that's too cliche. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, someone that's not... I don't mind them, like... It's totally believable, like, when they're embracing, giving each other hugs. But when he does that little sideways, like, ugh. <laughs> like no dude that's the wrong time she almost got raped <laughs> she's probably she's already not feeling that it's not believable aside from that i think that her characters it fits the films what i'm getting at yeah it's just certain things about it just doesn't really hit home it probably would have made more sense if she already would have been like part in an offshoot of their friend group yeah exactly. but she was part of the other group. she was yeah she was one of the popular kids yeah if she wasn't coming all the way across the fence then it would make more sense. Exactly. But if, if she, she were more like a nerdy subcast kind of kid, yeah. would have made total sense. But no discredit. understand what they were getting at. It just felt a little out of place. Also, during the dance, yes, dance. When, when Sammy does his bit. <laughs> That's totally solid gold right there. He's showing off. He's showing the fuck off. Especially He's showing off. Uh, the lip syncing isn't. Oh, yeah. Totally off. I think the first few lines of that song, he's way out of... He's way Lip-sync. out of whack. Um, yeah. Notice however, that. the lines to the song being, of course, They're once simple. again, on the point. Yeah, it's totally Just on the nose. on the nose. Rock and roll. Oh, Lose your soul. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, take control or something like that. Yeah, it's something like rock and roll. Can't read my own handwriting. It's like something enough. Steal your soul and yeah. take control. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yes. But I will say this. I liked it. It reminded me of a few things. It actually reminded me a little bit of Idle Hands. Like, I wonder how much... This film could have maybe oh. influenced that. Yeah, with High School uh, Dance. Offspring. Yeah, Something Possessed coming out. Yeah, exactly. Some of this film made me think that perhaps certain, whether it's directors, writers, etc., how some of that stuff could have trickled in in some of their films. But that one really stood out to me. I felt like this film might have been influenced a little bit by Christine with how many cars were possessed in this oh, film. Oh, shit. And that's part of the point where I was like, fuck you, you're so bad at killing people, Sammy. As soon as you take control of that car, just go head on into the fucking building. Blow it up. Instead of trying to decapitate him two different times and failing. <laughs> oh, and then just lighting the car on fire. Yeah. What the fuck, man? And going into the fucking... It's a little... Maybe it's a little maximum overdrive. A little Christine. Little, yeah, a little max. <laughs> Tim gets rapey towards Leslie out of nowhere. Mm. 
That's what I was getting at. He saw an opportunity. His girlfriend's in the hospital. She's leaving the party. He knows that Eddie, the guy he's been bullying the whole fucking film, has a crush on her, etc., whatever. Yeah, he makes a fucking pervy move. And then slaps her. Instant, yeah. And then instant karma. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. Eddie tried to help him. You gotta give him credit. Fucked around and got shot. I kind of wonder if it's one of those things where, like, maybe they wondered if he wasn't quite douchey enough by that point in the yeah. movie. Because it's suddenly scene. just like... Because he was a douche throughout the movie, but he wasn't fucking rapey and he wasn't making an overture no, there was towards even a, Leslie. He there was had even his a, own girlfriend. Like, yeah, there was a point in the film, too, where he was just, like, basically telling Eddie, like, just leave me alone. Yeah, in, in, already, a way, in a weird way, he's kind of already splitting it. Like, all right, I'm done fucking with this guy. Mm-hmm. But no, he had it one step further. He's like, I want to get up in that Leslie. And then, he said something like to the effect like they did this before. Yeah. And then Sammy was like, I don't think so. <laughs> oh my, I thought, all right, here's something I want to say. I thought when he licked his finger, he was going to give him a wet willy. Sammy Kerr, when he had him choked up, he does that. Oh, yeah. But instead he puts it in the socket. I'm like, God damn it. Give him wet willy first. Is that minor foreshadowing to him in I the fucking so. toilet? Yeah. The, even that, that was line, ridiculous. Like, that didn't need to happen. Oh. That was fucking. It was a little stupid. Be honest. It's like kind of dumb. Fucking stupid. <laughs> fucking water. Of course. Of course, it would be water with electricity. How oh, else? Oh my fucking god. Which is just more of Sammy being terrible, like, where they're trying to run away and going through the houses and shit, or running through the houses, <laughs> yeah. like, the rural area, and, like, immediately <laughs> they come within... Just a few feet, probably. A feet of some ra- of radio, yeah. and Sammy busts out the window, and they're like, shit, and he just hangs out. Yeah, he gets that copper. Yeah, he ends up getting the copper, like, two minutes later. Yeah, but, but he's right. still just hanging out in front of the window. All right, here's where I feel like some of, maybe the influence of Freddy Krueger because of some of the people who worked on that film. I think they were getting a little, not necessarily that they were trying to portray him as Freddy Krueger by any stretch, but they were playing a little bit off those tropes. Like, he's just taking his time with this kid. We were watching that yesterday a little bit, too. Like, everything that's wrong with A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And... Like, how many times does it take Freddy Krueger to kill this motherfucker? <laughs> how many chances do you need? No shit. And that kind of feels like that a little bit, too, with Sammy Kerr and Eddie. Like, how many chances do you need to fuck this kid up? I mean, actually, that's where my notes end. It all ends up okay in the end. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's... No, uh, what all fucking... I can't remember what goes down at the end. They do... Right. Oh, the end he, is kind of the trap. Yeah. He busts off in the fucking car. In the car, yeah. He leaves Leslie in that field at the radio station. Destroy this after you count to 100. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a dick move, dude. Leaving her out in the field. I mean, I understand what you... Trust me, it's going to work. How do I know that? Yeah. I mean, at least he had a... I, I he had a plan. Like his plan I could, though. Yeah, I liked I his a, plan. I, I liked how it ended up working. He out. enticed. I understand. Yeah, exactly. It, it worked, worked with out. everything they set up in the movie, but I was still. I agree. It was kind of like eh, it's okay. kind of a dick move. Yeah. It's kind of. I, I like. She's a ride or die with me at this point, bro. We already know she can Weirdly. swim. All right. Here's another thing. How did he not die, Eddie? Oh, when he popped off the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. All right. So we know that at least it seems that Sammy Kerr died, or he didn't really die. He just vanished because of. Water, electricity, they don't mix. Yeah, yeah. But wouldn't that have also electrocuted Eddie? Yeah, he was right there. In the fucking water, in the car with him. I mean, I guess he wasn't, I don't know. He was in the back seat. Sammy was. Is that like, like, though, like if you were standing on like a power line 
and you're not touching anything else, you're fine. Yeah. It's I, when you touch something else. That... I, I would think, no, because of the water. Yeah. Well, oh, because it's like a fucking toaster in a bathtub, he has, right? He has, no, he has no insulation. Yeah, it's like a toaster in a bathtub, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He should have been fucked. That's what I was thinking. It's like, no, he would have been, he would have been fucked up. But, I mean, because of the ending and all, I mean, you can't have that happen to him. Yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't make any sense. I still speaking, liked it, though. It was still a good idea. No, it was still good. Like you I said, th- a lot of see, it was forced. I thought he was going to ditch out of the car before it went over. Yeah. Not that he was going to come popping out of the water. So I know. It's like, damn, did he drown? Well, that's where that pool party thing comes in play, too. It's like That kind of foreshadows, like, he's going to come up out of the water. Mm-hmm. He's not going to die and all that shit. So, there, like I said, there's a few things, that foreshadowing plot. Looking on it further, it's like, okay... I see what they were doing. Another one, too, was that Walkman in the shower that he was using. It came back to kind of bite him in the ass. Oh. Yeah, because that's how Sammy appeared in the bathroom and all that stuff. When right. They were in his home. Yeah, so overall, I will say this, without learning too much more about this film, is like it was fun to revisit. I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. There was a lot of cool things we've learned about this film, you know, amongst its cast and the crew and stuff like that. So there were two people I, I wanted to mention, and that was some of the special effects people. One of them is Kevin Yeager, and he was a special key makeup artist in this film. Now, why do I want to talk about him? A few things. He worked on A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. He helped with some of the stuff, for, uh, like the Crypt Keeper for Tales from the Crypt. I'm surprised we didn't mention him before because he was actually one of the key makeup guys. I don't know if he was a creator, but he helped with the Chucky doll oh, okay. in Child's Play. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's also... I think we've talked about him before. He's also the husband of an actress on that film, Catherine Hicks, mm-hmm. who played the mom. And she was more or less known as the mom on Seventh Heaven. So yeah, yeah. So it's like that's kind of interesting. I didn't really realize that, but he had some really cool credits. Like, there's a lot of films. I don't really necessarily have to mention them all, but there's a lot of really cool shit. I'll name a few. He worked on the final chapter. Surprised we didn't talk about him then. That's Friday the Thirteenth. I already mentioned a Nightmare on Elm Street two. He also did the Dream Warriors Part three, Part four as well. The Dream Master, Nine Seven Six Evil, Bill and Ted's. Freddy's Nightmare. He was a makeup artist for Johnny Depp on the film Blow, hmm. which I thought was really cool. He was special makeup effects on Face Off. I love Face Off. Yeah, I mean, he's done some stuff with Hellraiser. He was a special makeup effects creator for Aeon Flux. More recently, Bones, a television series. Okay. So, I mean, he's got a wealth of credits to his name. I thought it was really cool. And the other person was Daniel Mark. They helped with uh, some like the special key makeup. It's mostly for Tony Field's character, Sammy Kerr, mm-hmm. on this film. But Kind of the same thing. Like, they helped with some of the stuff on Freddy's Nightmare. There was stuff like the movie House Part 2. Oh, okay. Those are some pretty cool films. Also on A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Space Raiders. Near Dark was another one. They were the hairstylist on that. So Some pretty cool films. I think a lot of people, after this film, went on to work on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Because I keep seeing a lot of these names pop up. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of neat that a lot of these people wound up working again together a little bit later on. Right. In some capacity. But... Yeah, the music, I thought was pretty decent. I mean, even though it is on the nose, I went back and listened to some of the soundtrack, and it's actually, it was pretty decent, man. There's some pretty good songs. I think even that one song is like a hip-hop song or like a oh, pre-rap yeah, yeah. song going into the Halloween party mm-hmm. at the school. I thought I was like, damn, that's pretty good. I kind of want to hear that. Yeah, no, that was probably my favorite song on the soundtrack. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was a fun film overall. I got a lot more out of it than I anticipated. I really enjoyed it. 
I did too. I had a good time. I'm really glad that we decided to do this one for it Halloween. It kind of did make me think of some of the films we have both seen recently. You already mentioned Deathgasm, but the other one too was Devil's Candy, was another kind of yeah. horror metal themed film. Mm-hmm. But the only other ones I can think in this realm were the ones I mentioned earlier, Black Roses. Yeah, they don't really make a lot of these style films, to be honest. No. Yeah, I don't know. I liked it. And now, please hit subscribe. I already said all that stuff. You can go to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. I think we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about Halloween. Oh, yeah. So stay tuned. we got some shit to talk about. All right, it's the Halloween episode. We went and saw Halloween yesterday. Dude, I fucking loved it. (laughs) Man, no shit, right? So before we went and seen it, you and I kind of talked amongst ourselves a little bit. Of some of the things we had heard, not necessarily review-wise, but just some rumblings from fans, you know, Mm -hmm. of horror in general. And for the most part, I've heard pretty good and favorable reviews. I have heard some people kind of bitch and moan about it a little bit. You know, Um, I didn't see any true bitching about it until today, and I've been following it since its release. Yeah. Everything I saw up until today was extremely positive, and I can see why. And even amongst critics, it was pretty positive. It's not fucking perfect. No, not by any stretch, but... It's fucking super entertaining, and I like a lot of the homages that they pay tribute to in this film. I liked a lot of the homages, for sure. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up getting a longer cut when it comes to video. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably a director's cut of some sort. I feel like there was a couple things that was set up in this movie that didn't... It's not that they didn't pay them off that well. It's just that it seemed like there was supposed to be more, or like it was supposed to create a bigger punch with you. And that's the only, like, downsides I can say to this movie because, I mean, it was mostly all upsides. Like, it was a great return of Michael Myers. I can absolutely understand why they disregarded everything after the first Halloween because this is the true sequel. No doubt, dude. Which is kind of neat, too. It's In a way, it's kind of erasing the slate of a lot of the films that came after and just kind of jumping right in 40 years after the series of events that happened in the original. What this movie does well is, I think, maybe what's making some fans not happy. I think some fans want to see 100% through and through straight sequel. And that's not quite what this movie does. Exactly. I feel like this movie is a sequel, and it's a sequel that makes a lot of sense. But the other thing it does is it reestablishes the legend of Michael Myers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a character in the movie that points out, like, what's so bad about this guy? Worse shit's happening all the time. Yeah. Especially in today's world. Like, so fucking what? He killed, what was it, what, four people, yeah, six four people? four or five people, whatever it was. Babysitter murders, fucking yeah, jerk exactly. me off. He's been fucking incarcerated all this time. What do we have to fear? And this entire movie is the answer to that. Yeah. What do we have to fear? It's because this is what happens when he's left unchecked. It's never going to please everybody because I think it does have to shoulder that burden of pleasing the old school fans, which it does in a number of ways, I think. It does, yeah. The fan service in it is fucking perfect. I totally agree. But it also truly sets up multiple different ways where you could play this forward. Yeah, I agree with that as well, which I thought was a really cool thing. What they're doing is they're paying, of course, homage and tributes to some of the film's some of the sequels we talked about part three because of the masks i mean there's certain things that they pay tribute to a lot of the original certain scenes are not necessarily shot for shot but they're eerily similar you know mm-hmm. without being too obvious maybe 
so there's just enough of that back and forth, which is fun. You're right, it's bringing the old crowd, but it's doing enough too where it's springboarding a whole another generation of movie viewers. There's a couple of things I can't help but wonder if it's going to play forward. Like one of the points that was sort of iterated throughout this movie was how Michael affects and influences those around him. Because from the get-go, some of your intro characters are these podcasters that are way into the story. And then you get, like, the Doctor later on, and another person has been affected in a big bad way oh, yeah. by the very end of the movie. And we're not talking Laurie Strode. Nope. <laughs> but you have the granddaughter. The last shot is her still <laughs> hanging onto the knife, and you can't think that that's just coincidence. No, I agree with you there. But then you stay past the credits and you hear the breathing. Fuck you, yeah, I don't give a shit about it because we're talking about potential sequels anyway. And I feel like at this point, there's no way it doesn't get a sequel. It just fucking knocked it out of the park numbers Man. wise. So, yeah, I saw something today like almost $92 million worldwide. And this is its opening weekend, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't help but feel that they did enough to whether they do it, which I kind of hope they do, the same team or somebody else, whomever. It leaves enough to where, yeah, you can further this franchise from this point forward. And, I mean, this movie truly is a new reason to fear Michael Myers. Yeah, dude. And it absolutely sort of spits in the face a little bit of people who want to, like, explain Michael Myers. Yeah, yeah. There's a number of scenes where he just refuses to be explained or refuses to give anything anything. up. Yeah. What I think they did a really good job of, too, is keeping his persona of the shape. Yeah. I think they did a really good job of that. Like, there's a lot of those things that alluded to that fact too. Is keeping him in the shadows, keeping him just enough unknown to where he still kind of feels like a shadow figure. And you also have maybe he's been in something else. I don't fucking know. But hopefully, the discovery of a new amazing fucking child actor. Oh, that kid? Yeah, dude. Well, Ju- was his name Julian in the movie? I think you're right. The gal's babysitter. Yeah, it is Julian. It sure is. His name is Jibril. Nantambu. Kid is awesome. Fucking hilarious. One of the best. In a movie that was already great through and through, he's one of the big shining moments. He was, dude. He was so good. I laughed a lot. I think you and I both did. Nasty ass toenails. (laughs) Oh, man. Some of the shit we talked about was the Alakazam. (laughs) Yeah. Holy shit. That was hilarious. Oh, my fucking God. I know what that means. I know what that means. (laughs) Holy shit. That was funny. I want to see him more shit. I do, too. I think this is a. Could be a good stepping stone for I want him. to see him as the funny fat friend in a remake of <laughs> Trick or Treat. That would be fucking awesome, wouldn't it? There we go. That's our pitch. Yeah, he did a really good job, man. He was a pleasant surprise in this film. I will say this, too, is... Let's send Dave. <laughs> yeah, you're going to die, Dave. That kid had some really good lines. The actress who plays Allison, who's the Fucking fantastic. I think they're setting her up to be a scream queen. Good. I thought she did a great job. Yeah. I felt a lot of that, like, they're setting her up to be, not necessarily the next Jamie Lee Curtis, but maybe in her footsteps. I did feel, for how little it's paid off, that they leaned way too heavy into the sort of Laurie Strode, watch out he who fights monsters lest you become one (laughs) sort of storyline. Because they leaned into that really hard, but (laughs) the only monster she really became was the fact that she wasn't the greatest mom. Yeah. But still, all the skills that she taught her kids came came into play. They did. So... Yeah. In the long run. Yeah. 
you know, it's still clever. Like, you can't help but think somebody who had to live through those events and it was targeted during those series of events, it wouldn't have, like, this major influence. How far, who knows, but... They sort of leaned on, on that even end. from the beginning yeah, yeah. where they're like, oh, who's the real monster? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they... And there's they so much mystery really there. they never really backed it up that much. Nah, nah. But it was okay. I, I liked her character a lot. She was badass. Yeah. Kind of like how I think Judy Greer seeing the initials <laughs> on the rifle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think there was more scenes of her as a little kid. Probably fleshed so out. So that that's supposed to be a more emotional moment than it was. Exactly. Yeah, we, we both know what it meant, but... It could have been fleshed out better. Yeah, because you only had, what, like a minute worth of her as a kid? Just a little bit of montage. Yeah. <laughs> just enough to give us an idea. Her but it seemed like somewhere along the line, she just snapped. Like, she broke away from all that stuff. Yeah. Fucking Artie, the strongest man in the world. Dude, Goddamn Toby Huss. I was so happy to see Toby Huss in this film, man. He's so funny. He's so good. He did a great job. Yes. Judy Greer already mentioned. Yeah. Did a fantastic job. She's a Laurie great actress, Strode too. is fucking badass on Sarah Connor level. Man, so good. Yeah, Jamie Lee was fucking awesome. There was a lot of times in this film where I was either smiling because of certain things they were doing or giggling or even in moments, like, there's some tension. There's, there's some good tension. There's some really good tension um, in this film. I do wish they would have played around a little bit more with the amount of times, like in the original Halloween, that Michael is in the background just stalking him. Yep. That wasn't done as much, but that's just a small gripe. Yeah, I mean, it's no big deal. But you're right. I mean, there's certain things, had we, you know, as viewers pat our way, yeah, things could have been played out differently. But... Like I think in like a 100% pure sequel, you do see that. No doubt. In what they were doing, reestablishing the legend of Michael Myers, as we saw. I think having those moments instead where you just follow him on his wanton destruction worked just as well. Brutal, too. There was a lot of moments, too, where I feel like what they were doing was trying to give you enough into a character where when they meet their demise, you're like, oh, that sucks. Damn. Yeah, but I was like, still, I like it, because they're like, fuck that. And they did a lot of still, like, cutting away at the exact right time. I agree, too. So that, like, you don't know how the bus escape went down. Yeah, exactly. You're right. There are certain things you still have to kind of use your imagination for, and then there are certain things that are just in your face. Good mix of both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there was a good blend. You could tell that these guys have done their homework. You can tell that they're fans. I highly recommend it, man. If yeah, I fucking dug it. If you're an uh, old fan of it, I think it's a great way to revisit. I wouldn't new quite go. So I mean, we already said that you know we haven't seen too much negativity about it. I also wouldn't necessarily go the other direction and say it's my favorite movie no, of the year. Me either, but but god solid. damn, it's good. It's really god good. Damn, it's good. <laughs> it's like I'm kind of curious to see what kind of releases it has when it does come. Yeah, to um, home. there's got to be more that was shot. I would um, imagine so, yeah. I, I can't imagine some of those scenes in, like, the last part of the second act. Yeah. Not Man. being stretched out a little bit longer in some ways. Well, and, like like I said, Judy Greer's childhood. For sure, yeah. There's no way that they meant that fucking <laughs> KB or whatever, or KS, yeah. on the rifle to mean so much after, like, a minute montage, right? Like, yeah, there's a lot more to that than just the initials on it. Just, oh, that's mine. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Fuck, who, who fucking knows? But I still say, like, that's the only bitching I have about that movie. Like, yeah, there, honestly, there's not much, if anything at all, I can gripe about this film. Like, yeah, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like, in a way, it was really worth... The music worth, was dope. Oh, it was John Carpenter and his son and another fellow. I was like, nice. 
Perfect. It perfect. fit perfect. I was thinking that too. Like, so there's a lot of things about this film I really did enjoy, man, without learning too much about it. Yeah. Can't really Go watch gripe. it. Yeah. Highly recommend it, whether you're an old fan of the franchise or somebody who just wants to know what Halloween's about, the whole Michael Myers thing, yeah, go check it out. Yeah, fucking it recommend it. Totally. It was super dope. That's it. That's Halloween for us. Yeah, go see it. Go see Halloween. With your go friends. enjoy Halloween. Thank you for listening to our Halloween episode. Yeah. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fry Squirms. Happy Halloween. Oh, good one. Maybe I should have said that. Okay. <laughs>